you'll enjoy sun-drenched days and star-studded nights on a lavish, fun-packed, all-expense trip for two. The sun, the water, the nightlife, golf, swimming, and all kinds of sports activities. Why do people go on holiday? I think it's very important in history to think about those kinds of potentially trivial questions. International history is often about the study of states, the study of statesmen, the study of powerful political figures. But it should also be about the study of individual people, ordinary people if you like. So if we think today about why people go on holiday, then we could come up with a number of potential reasons. They might go to relax, to um, gain educational experiences. They might go for less salubrious reasons, sex tourism for instance. And it's my contention that virtually every aspect of modern holiday going, with the single exception of sunbathing, can be traced back to the period of the Grand Tour. The term Grand Tour was in fact first used in 1670 by somebody to describe a kind of pattern, if you like, of travelling around Europe, which usually involves stopping off at Paris, travelling through southern France and then on to Italy, and then back via Germany, usually. Now, initially, the people that went on the tour were aristocrats. They would travel out, usually with their tutors. But across the 18th century, then more and more different types of people started to have this experience too. So we see more female travellers, for instance. And we also have a broader constituency of professional people. And so in a sense, by the early 19th century, the tour experience has started to open up to what we'd now describe as middle-class travellers, seen as the sort of culmination of one's education to go on a tour in one's sort of late teens or early 20s. But of course, as with tourism today, people go on tours for a huge number of different reasons. There's lots of reports of British travellers getting outrageously drunk at every city they visit, for example. There's lots of travellers who went for the explicit purpose of gaining sexual experiences away from the prying eyes of their family. A person might go on a grand tour to collect souvenirs. And that can be broadly translated to modern practices of collecting souvenirs. Objects which verify that you have actually been to the place that you say you've been. One of the major consequences of, of going abroad is that it, if you like, imports various European cultures and European practices. And there was a lot of mixed reaction about that. There were a number of people who were deeply concerned that the importation of, say, French fashions was somehow corrupting Englishness. But similarly, there were a lot of people who valued enormously the idea of bringing European cultures back to Britain. Certainly, there's been a lot of historical um, thought and, and theories in recent years about the ways in which encounters with foreign people, if you like, sustains an idea of Englishness or of Britishness. And in a sense one can see the Grand Tour playing into that. There's plenty of examples of individuals going to France and then feeling themselves superior on the basis of strange things that the French do. But there's also a flip side to that of course, in that a lot of the people who went on the Grand Tour are purposely seeking to appropriate or to adopt aspects of foreign cultures. And that of course can be used in order to cultivate a sense of general Europeanness, which sits alongside a more discreet idea of British nationhood. Britain has a very complicated relationship with Europe, a, a relationship that's based both upon mutual interactions and cooperation, but also on conflict. And so in a sense, a lot of the modern debates and modern problems there are surrounding how British identity relates to European identity can be traced back to this period where large numbers of British people are going abroad, often for the first time. I, I think that holidaymaking plays a very important role in understanding how British identity developed as it did, and how European identity developed. If we concentrate too much on politicians, on higher politics, that gives us some idea of how Britain relates to the continent. But we also need to think more carefully about cultural history 
and about the history of more ordinary people who were not involved in higher politics.